everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Language Lounge. My name is Michelle Ola, and I am your host today. And today I get to talk to the amazing Lisa Shepard. Hi, Lisa. Hi. I am so excited to have you here. It is so funny because I have had numerous people that have literally said to me, Lisa saved my life. <laughs> like she was so valuable to me. One of them was talking about during the global pandemic and you putting out your resources out there for, for teachers. And another is a very good friend of mine who um, speaks and teach multiple language, Juan Carlos Morales. And he said, you know, he was suddenly shifted over to teach French and how valuable your resources and how generous you are with them has really, really impacted um, particularly French teachers, but I know other teachers as well. And so I'm just really excited and happy to talk to you today, Lisa. Oh, well, I'm thrilled to be here. And thank you so much for sharing those sweet comments. It was, um, as I kind of switched my teaching, I just decided there were a lot of great blogs that I followed that were Spanish teachers, but there weren't too many French teachers. So because I was putting so much work into, you know, creating a new, creating resources and, and uh, curating those authentic resources and creating activities to go with them. And it just seemed silly that I was working, spending so much time <laughs> creating for, you know, I taught five levels, but, you know, so each 30 kids maybe would get each lesson. So, right. it, you know, it was pretty quick just to throw them up on a blog and, and then the feedback, you know, was great. So. Yeah, that it is amazing. And it is one of those things, um, you know, just giving back to the profession and giving back to our fellow teachers. And, you know, we learn from people and then we pass that on. And so I just really appreciate your you know, enthusiasm and your part in doing that. So today you're here to share some, some information with us. And so listeners, so today we're going to talk about like IPAs, integrated performance assessments, like 101. So if you're absolutely like an IPA pro, I am absolutely sure you will still learn something from Lisa and get some ideas, but we're really going to break it down in a way that Maybe you're, this is not something you're using and you want to. We're going to kind of talk about what it is, why you want to consider it, some of the back, you know, kind of story of the things you might need, um, kind of some tips for how to implement them, how to plan for them. And then we're going to talk about the, the grading and the assessing part as well. And so we're going to kind of break down some of these things with Lisa, who is a, a, a pro at this. So uh, thank you so much, Lisa. So let's, let's go ahead and get started. So the first thing is we use a lot of acronyms and like the, I just automatically say IPA. And I used to think about beer when I said that. And now I always think of an assessment, which is sort of sad in a way. Um, but let's start with the beginning. So tell us what is an IPA or an integrated performance assessment. Absolutely. So yeah, not a beer, but I usually do. <laughs> you know, I, I work, um, travel around the country working with teachers in, in school districts. So they're all, you know, everybody is in a different place of what their understanding is. But the acronym stands for Integrated Performance Assessment. So the integrated part is that there are tasks which are all inter integrated around one context. So the performance is that what we are doing is measuring students' performance. So it's not, we're not measuring the vocabulary in isolation or grammar in isolation, but it's a performance in all three modes of, of uh, communication. Let's so, break those down. What are the absolutely. three modes of communication, right? Like we're going to, we're going to really try and simplify this in the, in as, as simple a way as possible. And I love how you say it's a performance assessment, right? So again, we're not focusing on what they can't do, like what words they don't know, what grammar they're not mastered. We're focusing on what they 
can do and what they can kind of perform in that. So, so talk about that, those three modes. Awesome. So usually an IPA starts with the interpretive mode of communication. So that's reading uh, or listening. It's that one way communication. We don't get to interact with the writer or speaker or signer that we are uh, interpreting. It's also important when you think about interpretation, interpretive communication is that it's not just a literal comprehension. That's why we use interpretation and not comprehension, because we're also reading between the lines, encouraging our, giving our students opportunities to uh, make inferences, to um, infer the the speaker or the writer's point of view or perspective. So that's kind of what we mean by interpretive then usually our next task would be an interpersonal task, and that's related in some way because it's integrated. It's related in some way to what the uh, interpretive task was. So the students are probably discussing the content of that uh, interp- of that authentic resource that they interpreted in the uh, interpretive task. So um, interpersonal is always kind of the hardest one to work with, but it's you know, sometimes there's a, a misunderstanding that anytime two students are talking to each other, it's interpersonal. But to really um, make sure that it's interpersonal, you have to have that spontaneity. Interpersonal communication depends on a negotiation of meaning. So while you might have the students practice similar tasks ahead of time, I always, for example, would never let a student know who their partner was going to be. It was never, you know, if the students have memorized the task, if they know what their partner is going to say, it's not interpersonal. A skit, a memorized skit is not interpersonal because there's not that negotiation of meaning. So that's an interpersonal task. And then there's a presentational task. So that's a written or spoken task that is presenting information to an audience. Um, It's it's designed to inform or um, persuade. There's a message to it. So in in general, then, that's a result of what the interpersonal task was. And when we talk a little bit more about implementing, I will admit that sometimes in a classroom situation, it's not always possible to do it exactly in that way. Um, But that is kind of that yeah, is usually a, the cycle that you that you mm-hmm. typically see. So learn Absolutely. something, interpret something. I love that that you put that influence. It's not or that that emphasis. It's not just comprehension. It's not translation. It's interpreting all of those those, those nuances, right? And and when we talk about implementation, that's just not handing someone something and saying, here, what does it say, right? There's a lot of steps to that. There's a lot of, of parts to that as well. So so reading something, talking about it, and then kind of presenting it. And what I love about the interpretive or about IPAs in that sort of cycle is really that's kind of what we do as people, right? Like if I read a book or if I see a TV show or I, you know, I, I get some information that was really interesting to me. I, I want to talk about it to somebody, right? So I might talk about it and get their ideas. And then I start changing my mind and forming different opinions. And and then, you know, and then I might present it. Who knows, you know? So, you know, whether presenting is just, you know, me going on a, you know, sit on a pedestal and talking about it without dialogue. But I just think it's a very natural sort of thing once you sort of get that process, um, that process going. And and it's a lot of different skills and resources that we need as as people, not just as students, right? 
Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I love it. So so the, so those are the, the fundamentals of an IPA. That's kind of what it consists of. Um, so maybe let's break those down a little bit more. You did talk about that interpretive. So let's t- like talk about that interpretive piece. Um, and maybe let's like from a conversation around planning and then implementing um, sort of a, a sort of thing. And then we're going to save assessment and grading to the end because that's a whole nother beast. And I think that's something uh, people have questions about as well. So how do you find or create or what is um, what is the process of not everybody's as you know, not everybody has well, pre done IPAs, although there's a lot of resources out there now, right? And maybe you don't start by creating your own, right? Maybe you do start by searching, do you have some places where you look for or do you start from scratch when you are creating your IPAs or what what advice I do, do you have about that? I do start from scratch <laughs> because this is my idea of a fun time. I love I, IPAs. So I'm excited every you. time I can make one. I love that. That's so funny. To me, I agree in a lot of ways. I love, I mean, I'm, I know this is geeky, but again, like lesson planning and and creating those is can be a creative outlet, Absolutely. right? And so maybe let's talk about creating them first and then maybe, okay, not everybody loves this. Is not as everybody is as geeky as we are. Then, then maybe some places or some ways to find some might be a good idea. So, tell me your process. Like, how do you go about sure. creating that idea? So, I always start by finding the authentic resources, and that's you know that's my happy place. Is spending lots and lots of time um, because I do it so often now. I'm can pretty quickly find what I'm looking for. Um, the I always start the whole a whole entire unit by finding those authentic resources that I would like to bring in. So we, you know, Actful does recommend that we use a backward design. So as soon as we have what the learning goals are for that unit, then it's time to develop the assessment, to develop the IPA. So I find lots and lots of, of authentic resources. And what I choose just depends on the um, proficiency level of the student. So I really use those ACTFL can-dos as my kind of critical text in what types of resources I want for my students. So at a novice level, we know for novice low and novice mid, they need to read the pictures. So I think a, a fallback of a lot of us is the, are those infographics. You can find, especially for the more, more commonly taught languages, um, can find an infographic on anything and they're so easy to find you just google the word infographic in whatever your language is uh and then you know something about your a content related to your essential question so infographic Absolutely. families and or families in different hopefully you're able to bring in different cultures where your language is spoken i know in french Obviously, there's lots and lots of countries that speak French. Some are more likely to be putting out infographics than others. So certainly, we try to um, try to find as many different cultures represented as possible. But so many infographics have a commercial background. You know, a mm-hmm. government agency or a company has created these infographics. So we're a little bit, you know, um, limited based on who who had the money yeah. to to create them and put them out there. But lots it's pretty easy to find different cultures represented in an infographic and they're just so great for those novice learners because you can find some that have just pictures or icons and then the word under them for your novice lows um up to some short sentences up to even longer paragraphs so they can be appropriate for lots of levels but they're just all that great cultural content that's 
that's included in an infographic. Uh, other things for novices would be like a, a catalog or a brochure or a flyer of some sort, just something that's very, very heavy on the images. And then, you know, by novice high, they're able to start reading some simple sentences um, into intermediates, you know, longer speech paragraph types of discourse. So the resource itself depends on really what the uh, proficiency level of the students are. And of course, we're not only using written text, but we're also using recorded text. So, you know, YouTube is our friend. So most, I, that's where I search for any kind of video for the novices, you know, car, I love cartoons for novice students, especially, you know, cartoons have a range of proficiency depending on, uh, or I shouldn't really say proficiency, but the text itself has a range of, you know, difficulty dependent on the intended audience. For uh, the French students, they love this cartoon series about a little donkey called Trotro, and it's it's a cartoon that's intended for toddlers. So the speech is very short sentences with tons of visual. Everything is visual that you can see it. What's what they're, you know, that visual content is helping them to interpret the yeah what they I hear. I think like the options now versus when I first started teaching for authentic resources, I've said it before, like I just went around stealing things from Mexican restaurants <laughs> and you know, menus and like getting your hands on anything. And now you can find them. It's then how do you use them, right? And so there's a lot of resources, you know, Pinterest obviously has a ton of, you know, people that are already curating a lot of these. Um, and then it's kind of like, what do you do with these, right? Because you can't just give them out and expect all those inferences and those things to kind of happen. Um, and the other thing that I want to make sure people know and is that, you know, I'll, I'll often teachers will say, but, but they don't under, there's too much language on there. They don't understand all of it, you know, and that's okay. Like I still go to other countries and I still do not understand everything on the menu or everything in, you know, there's locals and there's dialects and there's all sorts of ambiguity out there in the world. And so um, I think instead of that being a negative, that that's kind of a positive if we can get our, our learners, our students to see that, yeah, it's okay. You don't have to understand everything, but these are the things we want you to pull out, right? And so how do you scaffold those authentic resources? Like, you know, let's say you found this great, you know, infographic and and now I think a lot of teachers ask like, okay, but what are they supposed to do with it besides look at it and answer comprehension questions, which is kind of old school, like what I used to do, right? So, Well, first of all, I just want to say, I totally agree with you. And I was in the same boat when it came to finding authentic resources. I started teaching in 1989. So oh my there, goodness, were, yes. there, was no, there was no internet or anything like that. <laughs> and I remember my suitcase after every trip to <laughs> France was like, one day, one day I found the yellow pages on the side of the a street in Paris. And I'm like, and you're oh, like, yeah, that oh, went this in my gold. <laughs> yes, this <laughs> is gold. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So as far as then what we want to do with the resource, and I agree about how important that is that we teach the kids. And that's why I think authentic resources are so important because we have to, you know, we have to make them feel comfortable with not knowing every word because when we, they are in a target language environment, uh, they're not going to know every word. Like you said, you don't know. I don't know every word, but I'm confident. I have skills. I can Um, figure some out. I can figure what I need to out. Right. I think we do a disservice if we don't ever let them see you know, read or listen to something where they don't know all of the words. So really, so for when I'm creating the interpretive task, 
I follow very closely the template that's in the the IPA manual, which was just updated. So it was, 20 yes. years, IPA, 20 years and counting, I think. So um, I do really recommend that text highly. And I just follow right along with that. And the, the sections are, um, you know, designed to allow the students to begin with the more concrete uh, literal comprehension and go into more into the inferential comprehension. So the first part is keyword recognition. And um, so for that part, you just find some words that are in the text in the target language, but then on the, t- on the student's IPA on their, on their paper would be this, the word in English. So they just find that word in the text. So that really, I think, helps prepare the students for what's to come. It gives them some confidence because they can probably recognize keywords after you've been, you know, working on a unit for four to six weeks. So it really gives them that confidence, it allows them to start making some predictions about what their text is going to be about. Then the second part is always the same, same question, what is the main idea? Um, after that, supporting details, and this is if you follow the IPA manual exactly, sometimes it's a little confusing, but there'll be a list of information like um, a sample IPA I use. The text is um, an article about a young boy uh, who lives in Senegal, and it's about what he does in the summertime. So I just make a list of details that may or may not be in the text. So where he lives, what language is he speaks, what he likes to do in the summer. And they say, I think, seven to ten of those details, but three will be distractors. So, or some certain number mm-hmm. will be distractors. So if they find that detail in the text, they will put a check mark next to it, and then they would write the information. So since the article mentioned where Abbas lives, they check that, and then in the blank following that, they write Dakar, Senegal. So that's kind of how we suss out the details, but still very, you know, comprehension level. Concrete. And then there's a question about uh, organizational features. And my um, confession is I always skip that part because it's just, is it chronological? Is it pro or con? I would use that if it was real germane to the text, but in general, I'm just having, you know, informational types of text that follow a, you know, a expected order. So the um, um, organization is not going to be thrown, you know, causing comprehension difficulty. So I do encourage people, if it doesn't work for your text, you know, throw it out. Yeah. It's just a guideline. And then guessing meaning from context is my favorite part to make. I think it's so fun. And so you pick a sentence in the text and that has a word that the students won't have seen before. And you underline that and then invite them to guess the meaning of that word. And my kind of little hack for that is that some I have had students refuse to guess because they're so oh. uncomfortable. I've asked them, like, why Why didn't you at least put a guess? And, madam, I don't want you to judge me is actually what oh, I Oh, yeah, wow. I'm judging you because you left it blank, you silly thing. But, you know, it depends on what your relationship right. is with your students. Right. But what I did there, especially with my novices or with their first few IPAs, is that I make that multiple choice. I give them three choices. And they're still using those context clues because they're going to plug each of those choices into the sentence to mm-hmm. see the one that makes sense. So that was really a way to kind of scaffold that and help them to start to be more comfortable with that. Um, so then after that, after the guessing meaning from content, context is that then we ask them to make some inferences. And that's usually kind of the hardest part for teachers to design. Um, they do give some kind of some prompts in the IPA template, which there's a link to just the template for people that don't have the whole books. The template is um, 
printed with permission on the Ohio Department of Education website, so people can look at it there. But there are some suggestions. But I just remind teachers that an inference is kind of the intersection of the text and the student's background knowledge. So um, in this particular example about this boy in Senegal, I think the inference I had them do is, oh, do you think Abbas lives in a city or a village? And you really get to know a lot about the kids' background knowledge and their understanding of the text. Because of their background knowledge might be very based on stereotypes, most of my students wanted to put that he lived in a village. But in fact, the text says he goes to the mall, he plays video games at the arcade. Yeah. So, you know, when we go to talk about assessment, what we're assessing is the quality of the justification of the of the response. So you would not be able to pick out any details from the article that would support his living in a village, but you certainly could find details about him living in a city. That's great. I, and I think the other thing that is interesting is that um, I know when I first started out, like this all just sounds like like listening or reading practice, but this is actually what you go through on the actual assessment. Like you do this as a way, you know, during class to, to kind of practice these skills and to learn and to, to do all of that. And when you come to the assessment, you don't, you then don't just give them the, the, you know, the authentic resource or the thing, the article or whatever, you still walk them through all of these steps, right? And so it is a process, um, whether you're doing it as practice in class or whether you're doing it as the assessment, it's really the same Absolutely. process. We want our, our you know, that it to be seamless, that transition from, you know, from teaching to assessment. So the students are very comfortable. I know, um, one year, I just kind of forgot it was in my plans that we were having an IPA, and I didn't really mention it. And it was the day before. I'm like, oh, gosh, we have an IPA tomorrow. And the kids were like, okay. okay. Like, because they're not, it's nothing to study for. It's just right. what have you been doing for the past month? You've been do using these skills. So yeah. it's it's not something for them to, they have to study for. And I think that really makes it, you know, an equity-based type of assessment when it's not dependent on you staying up hours the night before and memorizing things. That's great. That is a, a, an amazing, absolutely true point. Yeah. Wonderful. So, well, there well, were a couple other parts. I'll just say them yeah, really quick please. in case yeah, I don't leave anything out. So then there's author's perspective, and we can give three possibilities for what we think the author's perspective was. So about the Abbas kid, I think that my uh, my three choices were, does is the author's perspective that children in Senegal have difficult lives? that ch children in Senegal have a lot in common with French children or children in Senegal have happy lives in spite of the poverty in which they live. So of course, again, those, um, you know, those stereotypes reared their heads there. But in fact, everything, you know, we had spent the unit do, re looking at lots of infographics about the most popular leisure activities for kids in France. And in fact, they were playing soccer and, you know, playing video games and all of the same things that Abbas did. So very few children chose, that, very few students yeah. chose that he had a lot in common with French kids, but that was the one that could be supported by the text. And then the last part is just comparing cultural perspectives. So they give some sentence starters that we might use in the manual. So compare, you know, what are cultural similarities between, you know, how Abbas spends his summer vacation and how you spend your summer vacation? Or what did you learn about this, you know, the culture from this text? Like, oh, Abbas goes to Quran school in the morning. So you may have learned like a lot of kids in Senegal might be Muslim and that, you know, kids in Senegal um, like playing soccer. Just, you know, what cultural things did you learn from that? 
So those are the parts. I love it. And it's just so rich. I mean, and I think that's the part that I love about IPAs as well is that they're learning, you're assessing, but they're learning at the same time. They're, they're applying all of the things that you've talked about. It gives you information like, Oh, I still have a lot of students that kind of have these, you know, biases or these, you know, come in with this background knowledge and we might need to kind of work a little bit more on that, but it's so like, it's just so rich with knowledge and understanding and learning that it just, I always felt like when I gave traditional assessments, it was just a waste of class time because it was really not, I I don't know, it was very sterile. They didn't really, you know, it was just so deficit centered and there was no, it was like, okay, so high stakes and everything. Right. And so I just, when I switched to IPAs as a way to look at just their, their learning and what they've learned and understand and, and assess them in that way, it was just so much, it's just so much more fulfilling in a lot of ways. And I just so much, just much more interesting, you know, and, and I just love that. So and we didn't talk a lot about kind of the why of IP. Yeah. I think that's it, is that it, it is an assessment that measures all of the standards. You know, obviously the communication, because they're communicating across the modes. Obviously the culture, we just talked about how culture is incorporated. And because we're using yeah. authentic resources, culture is incorporated anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the connections to other discipline. Like you said, it's based on a content. It's not based on language. It's not based on a structure. So the content is, you know, something artistic, something scientific, something something related yeah. to social studies, something historical. So yeah, they're making those connections to the other, you know, subject matters. They're making those comparisons of language and culture and communities when, you know, we didn't talk a lot about it when I was talking the task, but certainly we're trying to make the task as real life as possible. And they, you know, we might even be able to bring in an audience from, you know, that speaks to target language. So we're having those, um, communities then is that and even if it's just our classroom they're still now in a francophone community that that is our classroom so yeah it's just so much more rich rich it, it not is a waste of time it, it, it is it is and you know the other thing i i think about and that you just mentioned is that connection to other disciplines and especially this interpretive mode and I think, you know, we are part, we are world language teachers, but we are also part of a school community that has expectations of all content areas. So, you know, I'm down here in Florida and we, you know, one year we would put a, a strong emphasis on writing and, you know, and then not that I would give the presentational writing more emphasis, but I was able to use the skills and the things that the students are learning in, you know, in their ELA class about writing and what makes good writing to the different types of writing and, you know, all of that formal and informal writing. And I could bring in things that reinforced other areas, other skills that they need. And when I hear like an IPA and the things that we go through, especially in that interpretive mode, that is just embedded with so much English language arts that supports learners of all levels and, you know, needs and sort of, you know, it challenges high flyers and it really supports, you know, those that need it for whatever reason. And so like, it really does allow us, in my opinion, also to just really show our value in our school for being relevant and connected and important as well, since we kind of got on a a tangent of the whys. Um, But I I think that, you know, when I'm listening to all those things with that interpretive mode, those are just good life skills and, and, 
people skills and skills that that, that we need to, to you know all need to learn. So I Absolutely. do love that about and it. There's as such well. a focus on justifying ideas from the text, yeah. having an, an opinion, and that's something certainly that that we all need to be able to do. Yeah. I do. Um, a couple of years ago, I presented at ACTFL about critical thinking skills. And when, you know, as I was researching different, you know, in-class activities for that, I mean, it didn't have to be language class, you know, most of them weren't, they were meant for any subject matter, but Mm -hmm. so rich for our language classes, because since, you know, this focus on support, um, you know, that if we're having to support an answer, we're doing a lot of talking or a lot of writing. So it's just really a a way to use our language skills. Um, But first, you know, skills that we need across the board. Yeah, and I do a lot of talking about differentiation as well. And this is another um, assessment that really supports that as well, you know, as far as because you're not in that deficit, what, you know, mindset of checking off what they don't know. These are the words I don't know. This is what they couldn't do. You really do allow all students to show what they can do. And you can then you know, adjust those expectations based on, you know, where, where they're at and, you know, expect, you know, if somebody comes in halfway through the year to your level one class, they're not going to be at the same proficiency level. And then when we talk about assessment, then we can just move that, that especially, you know, that target, that proficiency target or their performance target a little bit to meet those needs. And, and so there's, it's just rich with, with, you know, that flexibility. So I know we got on a side tangent, but I think oh, it's an I important think, one, right? I do too. <laughs> so are there any other, um, you know, tips or suggestions or, you know, implementation of, you know, the of that interpretive mode in particular um, that you One would thing suggest. I would just mention that comes up a lot when I'm working with teachers is that you may have noticed that a lot of that the prompt part was in English, um, and the IPA manual will invite you to kind of make some substitutions with the target language a little bit later on. But I also really support assessing the students in English. Because we want to make sure we're assessing their ability to interpret the authentic resource. So if we give them target language questions, we can't know if they if they make an you know aren't able to provide an accurate answer. We don't know if they didn't understand the question or not, and and that's not what we need them you know to assess them on. Also, um, at that level of novice, they they don't have lots of words for the same thing. So it's very hard to write a question that doesn't use the same vocabulary as, as they'll find in the text, in which case they're just going to write down some words that have, you know, write down yeah. some phrases where they see those words. And again, we just don't know whether or not they're uh, comprehending the text. So by using a shared language, then we, you know, we eliminate those, those issues. And it's, yeah. you know, we don't have to do that during the four to six weeks of the unit, it's the one day uh, of the IPA that they're going to be doing that. And uh, certainly I would recommend giving a practice IPA before the one, you know, that you're using is your sum- if you're using it for a summative assessment like I did. But, you know, we it doesn't mean we have to use English all the time. Yeah, I think that um, when I was writing, helping writing curriculum, it is hard to write in the target language an interpretive activity. One, because again, like you said, making sure that they would know what the question is so that they, that you know that they're interpreting the answer. But also it's so easy, it's so easy to just create questions in the target language where it's just look and lift off. So all they do is find the word in the question. They look into, they're very good at, you know, everybody, that's what our brain is meant to, is, is meant to do. So we would look up there, find the right word and 
in context kind of read that one sentence maybe uh, to figure it out, but we don't really understand the whole text. We don't aren't able to really dig into it or comprehend it. We're just looking and lifting off that information um, that we know. And that's very common in like ELA even. It's hard to write tests in, you know, like in the same language like that. So oh, sure. Um, Absolutely. So yeah. Awesome. Any other uh, tips or ideas for the interpretive mode? Not really good that I can think of. I can't think of any either, but okay. I'm sure we, even well, if we miss something, somebody ahead. can let us know, right? <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, so they do, so students do the interpretive mode. Um, I, I know, well, what's, well, I don't know if we should address this now, but a, a lot of the challenge, I think, with implementation. So maybe we, that was kind of, um, we're kind of going on the fly here, but I'm thinking, that let's works. talk about planning, implementing, and assessing right away, like all together. Sure. Um, so, you're, let's say you're implementing the IPA. We've already practiced it. They're doing it. Um, they're doing it in class. Um, are there any any challenges that teachers have with implementing? I don't think it's so hard with the interpretive necessarily. Um, but right. when we so, get to some of the other modes, I think we're going to have a, lo- a rich conversation about some challenges. Absolutely. Um, but, absolutely. but even like if it's a listening, let's say it's a listening one and you have a, a text or a, a video. like. Do you show up multiple times? Do they listen to it over and over again on their own earbuds? Do you, you know, how do you, you know, adapt for personalized needs of students, um, but still do it in a whole group? Or do you and all of those kind of questions? I might. Right. So when I did it, I was able, I was at a one-on-one school and the students were able to listen on their own. Um, That requires some monitoring. What I would not allow them to do is have the subtitles on during the assessment, only because then it becomes a reading assessment. And if I want it, and in my grading, I had, um, in my categories, I had interpretive interpretive listening and interpretive reading as separate categories. So I wanted it to be a pure assessment. So, you know, that would depend if you have a way, if you can monitor them. You know, slowing it down is something else that if they're watching off of YouTube would be an option. I'm I'm more I'm okay with that really because in real life, not that my classroom isn't real life, yeah. um, but people, you know, listeners that are used to working with non-native speakers will slow their speech down. So I think, you know, having having the students slow something down is certainly fine, you know, I think that that is authentic. For them I to think do that, that you know you say that, and I think that is so interesting because even just a little tick box where they noted whether they slowed it down gives you a whole bunch of information about what level they're at too, sure. as far as their um, you know their proficiency level. Because you're right that you know that interpret the person that listens or the person that talks, they're going to adapt to the person in front of them. And if I have to slow down, that tells me where that that person that's listening to me is at a little bit. So right. that's so, yeah. super so, interesting. Yeah. So if possible, I definitely think it's great if they can listen on their own. And I think listening more than once is totally fine. Because again, in those authentic situations, we ask someone to repeat and sometimes yeah. two or three times. So yeah. um, I think that's okay, too. Now, sometimes teachers don't have that option. Their students Students don't each have their own device with headphones. Mm-hmm. So, you know, then the teacher might have to play it several times and maybe choose certain places to stop. That's the biggest thing. And we, you know, we love Edpuzzle for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I like a little more open ended for the IPA rather than my formatives that I would do lots and lots of Edpuzzles. But still, in Edpuzzle, you can do open ended 
answer, you know, questions and answers to. So, so that's another option of kind of placing the question there that is, you know, it's more authentic when we're, um, you know, listening to someone to get information. We usually, you know, can get, we know where to look for the information. So, yeah. so I think that's great. I think that's great. That's awesome. You know, my last question, and we are, I hope this isn't too messy, but I do think it's kind of nice to address all these things about this all at (laughs) once. Um, And so my other question is, for your assessing of that, um, do you assess each part separately? So do you have an interpreter? Because I know, and I wouldn't say there's a right or a wrong way. I, I know lots of teachers do it in different ways, but what are some options or what did you do as far as assessing? Did you assess each piece? Did you have a rubric for each, a separate rubric for each one? Um, I do know a, a, a teacher of mine who does not that she assesses, so again, but doesn't put a grade or puts a very low grade on the interpretive mode um, because her idea or thoughts are if, let's say now they're going to talk about it. If they don't understand the interpretive part, can they really be as successful as they normally would be on the interpersonal and the presentational? So her goal is to really make sure they all understand the interpretive and you know, they kind of look at that and and make sure everybody understands that before they move on. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of ideas out there. So what kind of, uh, you know, tips, suggestions, what did you use for assessing um, in particular that interpretive part? Sure. So the uh, IPA manual has an interpretive rubric, which is perfect because it has all those different sections and it has descriptors, um, you know, for each of the different, for each of those sections. So that's why, that's what I like to use. I did because IPAs were my summative assessment. I did want to input a grade. And those were, you know, everybody's grading is different. And there's, you know, there's no right or wrong. For me, everything that wasn't the IPA was a formative, was a formative grade. And a lot of people don't grade formatives. That's, that's great. 90% of stuff in my grade book was a formative. It was something we did in class. Um, So I usually did two IPAs per quarter. So those were the only grades that went, you know, so those were 80% of their grade. So, um, so I did want, and because I had those categories, I wanted each of my IPAs to give me an interpretive reading and interpretive listening and interpersonal speaking and a presentational writing usually is what I did. And we kind of didn't talk too much about that when we were originally talking about interpersonal mode, interpersonal can be writing. I think it's real hard to really make writing interpersonal. I think we get a little thrown off when we look at the AP test has interpersonal writing that's that's an email they don't get they don't get a response to their email so it's not interpersonal there's no negotiation of meaning there so um you know i just use that was my speaking was interpersonal and then i did a presentational writing once in a while we do a project that involved a presentational speaking but um it was mostly i did writings for that so we were oh so so for grading i did use the rubric um you know, that was in there. Sometimes I change a little bit of the wording for my students, but I thought it was great because it addressed each part of those. So you were talking, I wanted to go back to something you were saying about how important it was for the students to get some feedback on the interpretive before they went on to the interpersonal. And absolutely, that is best. In my classroom situation, you know, sometimes there were, you know, pragmatic difficulties with that. 
if, you know, I started the IPA by doing the interpretive first, maybe the first class period, if I had short, you know, 45 minute class periods, then I was faced the situation is what about the absent students? On a given day, I probably had at least 10% of my students not in class. Right. So then if the next day is going to be the interpersonal, well, then those students didn't take the interpretive. So I couldn't give feedback, you know, whole class feedback. Um, so that was problematic for me. But absolutely, if you can make that happen. And I know a lot of people use this, their interpretive some, you know, something that they read in the middle of the unit, which can be awesome too. You know, it doesn't have to be all together. Yeah. I think that was the important part that when I understood, like, it doesn't have to be like, I have these three days blocked for this assessment and I have to do these all in a row. Um, And especially that interpret part, I think moving that forward a little bit so that you do have time to give that feedback so that they know for the next two sections. I think that's a really good kind of practical tip because we don't want to be killing ourselves trying to create all of those the night before, you know, during that day of so that we can give them back and, and, you know, so that they're ready to do the next parts. Absolutely. Um, the other thing before we move on that I have to mention sure. um, that I, that you said, and I just really want teachers to understand this or, or not understand this, um, but hear this is that you said, cause often I hear like, Oh, they take IPAs take so much time. Like, and so when you said you do two per quarter, I, so I know some teachers would be like, oh my gosh, like that takes so much time. But I think it goes back to that it's time well spent. It's not any different than what you're doing when you're running kind of that a proficiency-based classroom and you're using authentic resources and you're talking about them and you're interpreting them like all the time so that it's not some isolated event that you have to, you know, really... I, I don't know. I just think that, you know, because they are still learning, they are still talking, they are presenting, they're all, they're doing all those things. Um, it's not really different than you run your class all the time, right? Right. And I do encourage teachers that all the in-class stuff, don't grade any of it. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's fine. You know, talk about it, listen in as they're working, but yeah. say, you know, save your grading for the IPA. I would also say for that interpretive part, because I do use the rubric, you know, I can do a stack of those in a big hurry. Yes. I, number one, I don't write anything on the student paper. So I have their paper on my left, my rubric on the right, and I glance and check. It's a rubric. I don't even have yep. to, you know, the supporting details. Like, I don't even have to read every single answer all the way through. You know, it's is it well justified? I mean, it's very yeah. quick. I also, especially for that interpretive part, had the student circle where they felt they were on the rubric. And like I said, there's a separate row for each of those, you know, for guessing meaning and context and supporting details, the main idea and all those. So I'm, I have the students assess themselves and that's really important because it gives them a chance to go back, you know, and if they're deciding whether they fully justified or partially justified a choice, um, you know, they're going to go back and have another look at that. And then it can make my grading easier too. start there, you know, instead of reading everything, start there. You know, do you agree with what, the, how the kids self-assessed, you know, you might just be able to check that. So you don't have to write anything on the paper if you're going to be giving the whole class feedback. And yeah, some of them aren't going to pay attention, but they also weren't going to read your feedback. So right, okay. right. I, I, absolutely. No, absolutely. That's, that's great. Awesome. So yeah, Thank you. Pretty fast. Sure. Yeah. Anything else that you can think of um, that you want to add about that before we kind of move on to the interpersonal I think mode? we can talk interpersonal now. Awesome. The most fun. Yes. And I love the interpersonal mode, um, but it can be challenging, I think. I think this is one that does 
require, um, you know, we do interpersonal all the time in our classes. Um, but when it comes to like our formal assessments, sometimes we get like hung up a little bit. So let's, sure. let's talk a little bit about that. And Right. How do you plan it? How do you implement it? And how do you assess it? Right. So, and, you know, I read a lot um, on the different forms about how some teachers do, and they have different ways. And, you know, I keep my mouth shut unless somebody wants my feedback. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I'll i tell you what works for me and why. Yeah. And then I hope that people will do what works for them. For what I do, you know, they have the task. My students know, have the whole context for their IPA before we start. So. Um, but certainly all the interpersonals that we do in class are leading them up to the IPA. And sometimes, you know, it's a very, usually a pretty open-ended prompt, like, you know, talk to your friend, talk to your classmate about what you like to do for fun in the summertime and try to find three things you both like to do. I mean, so even if they practice in advance, they might practice with several classmates. So when it comes to the IPA though, as the students are working now, here we get the problem, right? Because ideally, you're doing the interpretive and the interpersonal and the presentational. Sometimes, if mine is so general, like this summer vacation, they're going to read about a boss, but their interpersonal task is talking about what they like to do. So they might not have to have read about a boss. And that's mm -hmm. something teachers have to decide how pure you yeah. can be. I had to be practical for my teaching situation. So um, anyway, when it came to that time for the IPA, as the class was working, maybe on interpretive if they didn't have to have that finished, or maybe on presentational if it didn't specifically relate to the interpersonal, or maybe on some other task to keep them busy, but I would call two students at a time up to my desk. They were unannounced, so they did not know who their partner would be. They could, at novice level, we know they're dependent on memorized language. They can memorize the questions they're going to ask, but they won't know what their partner's going to say. So even if it's, I play soccer, the partner responds, me too, that's interpersonal because mm -hmm. they, they responded showing that they understood. There was that negotiation. They understood it. They said, me too. So even if the me too is the part for a novice student, you know, that it's not memorized, that's okay. I mean, they memorized the phrase, but they were, you know, it was a conversation because they had that rejoinder. So, um, so I called two kids to my desk at a time. Um, they had the prompt in front of them and I usually, this came up recently. Um, but do you give them a timer? Somebody said it took too long. And I did, you know, especially for a novice kid, two minutes is wow. If they could actually keep up for two minutes. Now, if there's a lot of hemming and hawing, I might give them more time, but I think it's important for them to know you know, I'll let you know when your time is up, you don't have to just keep going, keep going, keep going. So, um, so that's what I did. So I listened to them for, for two minutes. I took, you know, we were talking about grading as they were talking, I would, could, um, you know, jot some notes down when they were finished right before I called up the next group, I can jot, fill in a rubric real quick and my grading is done. So I know some teachers record and I tried that. And I had a couple problems with it in my situation that might not apply to other people. But one is, you know, some of the students, if they started off, they hit record, but they weren't happy with how they did or their partner did, they stopped and started over again. Mm -hmm. So then we've lost the spontaneity. Um, the other big problem is then I had to listen to right. <laughs> all of those. And that was hard to find time to do. So yeah. um, that way I, I was just done. Another yeah. thing that a lot of teachers do is instead of having two students talk to each other, they just ask questions. And 
I think you miss some negotiation of meaning if it's just me asking the students questions. I really think it's important to put the students in charge of making their conversation work. And I always encourage them, so if you if you get a blank look, then you you're responsible for your partner understanding you. So give a forced question. You know, I had I had a great student. I always talk about Rachel, but she was on an IEP. She struggled with a lot of things about written language, but boy, she know, knew what to do with a partner. And I had never really taught them that skill of, you mm-hmm. know, think about what I do when you don't understand and you do that. But she just knew, you know, she just wow. knew. She said, come on, do you play soccer or basketball? I mean, she would say that in French to her, <laughs> yeah. you know, to her to her partner. And so those are such important skills because when they are in a target language environment, they do have to make themselves understood. So. I, re- I think it's I very love that. I love the, the idea students. of just of, of like actually teaching them like, okay, if you give them an open ended question and they don't understand, give them a choice. I'm like, because I think that's where um, I would always kind of get, you know, tied up a little bit is because interpersonal speaking, it does your part does depend on that other person's part. And so I think, you know, like, it, giving them those skills to be able to to know how to negotiate those rejoinders or those phrases that, you know, even could you repeat that or I don't understand. So they have to ask it a different way. You know, giving them those kind of skills to do that um, is, is important if you're going to have student, you know, kind of student to student sort of thing. I agree. Um, and sometimes, you know, especially at the novice level, sometimes yeah. there is such a disconnect they might not be able to, you know, and then sometimes right. I would have to jump in and kind of, you know, at least allow the one student to have an assessment and then the other one is like you know what let's you know do some work and then just do this try this again right you know in a week or so so sometimes I would have to jump in and my cheat was that I also in general when I was randomly pairing students I was usually pairing them with someone who was around their same level of proficiency so that they could adequately challenge each other and show off their highest skills so Absolutely. Not everything has to be random, right? Right. But you don't have to tell them either. <laughs> right. Exactly. Awesome. And do you have any other, You, I assume you use a rubric for your interpersonal and you're just grading it as you are listening, I assume. Absolutely. Right. And there are, in the IPA manual, there is an interpersonal rubric. I use the ones. So my grading in the last couple of years became linked to proficiency levels. Um, so... I did use some different rubrics. I used the ones from the Ohio Department of Education to grade the interpersonal um, and the presentational. So um, I don't think I can stress enough how important it is to use a good rubric and to have rubrics. And there are a lot of really good rubrics out there now. And we will link in the um, in the show notes, especially mm-hmm. the Ohio ones, because again, I know people all over the country go there. I knew I used to go there, and um, it does make things so much easier for you as a teacher. And this, I, I know we we could talk all day, Lisa, honest to God, but we can't. I'm like, okay. But I was going to say, like, uh, just understanding though, you know, getting that background knowledge as a teacher of those different levels on that rubric and what distinguishes one for another and how you right. communicate to that to students. Like we could literally just do a whole episode on, on that as well. But I do agree, you know, I, I, you know, do what works for you as a teacher. And I, I, and do, I, I know I do hear teachers that say they record them all, but then you've got to bring all those recordings home and spend extra time trying to do that, um, which is puts a heavy mental load and, and load on the teacher, but it also kind of then delays, you know, kind of, you know, the, 
the that assessment for students and you know yeah, i mean there's not that cycle, turnaround right. yeah i mean so there are some some challenges you know with with that as well um but I, the other thing I was going to mention is because I just am really intrigued about this. We're not going to really talk too deep, but I want to throw this out there. And that is with the interpersonal writing, which again, I've always said like, you know, and I'm with it again, writing a text in text boxes and you're both partners. It's simulating interpersonal, but it is not interpersonal. It's hard to do interpersonal writing. So unless you're literally just like handing a piece of paper back and forth between students, right, in a timely manner. Um, but now with the advent of like AI and some of these, this chat GPT, like I actually did a conversation like in a novice level and there it's accelerating that, that um, genre or that whatever technology is accelerating so quickly that I think very soon we will be, I mean, yes, it's, it's interpersonal with a non-human, you know, but again, if we're simulating interpersonal, obviously, you know, doing it with a real person texting live is, you know, a great, is the best way to do it. But I just think there's going to be some options maybe in the future for a little bit more spontaneity, at least at, at that, that aspect of it as well. So yeah, I'm interested to really, see where that goes. Yeah. Really engaging for the students too. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, wow. AI understood me. <laughs> yeah. And it is, I, I do think, um, and, the, and it, you can ha- set it up so it can ask questions back to you, you know, so I do think wow. there's some interesting things that are happening out there um, uh, that uh, some of the AI experts in our field, like Joe Dale and uh, sure. Noemi Rodriguez and stuff, are start, sort of exploring. So I'm looking forward to kind of seeing where that uh, where yeah, that goes absolutely. as well. I've played around a bit with ChatGPT and really enjoy it myself. Yeah, so there's a lot there. It, it, it's it's fascinating. So any other tips, tricks, ideas, things that you um, wanted to kind of mention about uh, the interpersonal mode? Um, the only thing is that also that if at all possible, we try to make the prompt, you know, to have create something where the students can demonstrate their interculturality so sometimes we can do that by basing it more on that authentic resource or i think that you know my specific prompt about our uh, the young man in senegal was talk to your partner about things you do in the summer um and you know suggest why that might be appropriate you know so if it's oh I play soccer oh that would be good because kids in Senegal play soccer too so that we really want to try to bring that interculturality into each part of the IPA yeah I love that and and um it it, sometimes it's challenging to kind of do that because that interpersonal is you know tends to be more my experience your experience my you know um, right. But even sometimes it's really a stretch. The ones I come up yeah, with, it might well, not always it, be the best. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. I have seen some ones that I've really enjoyed or that I've liked that I thought were effective. Where maybe there's two students, like so. There's your friend from Senegal, and then there's someone else from Paris, and they both have their activities and maybe talk about which one would the two of you, like you and your partner, want to hang out with for the day because of likes or like so adding in that that second piece to kind of make a choice sometimes um can work um but yeah you sometimes you have to be creative and that and yet that can be the fun part of it and it also can be the you know the challenging part of it as as well sometimes we lose a little bit of the authenticity so right you know it's all we're just doing the best we can here a (laughs) hundred percent and it's still better than that traditional sort of you know, grammar focused deficit sort of, um, you know, assessment that I've used in the past, even if I'm not doing 
an IPA perfectly, you know, textbook, you know, beautiful, it's still really meaningful, good, you know, learning and work. And so I, you know, don't be afraid of not being perfect before you jump in, right? Because we're not perfect, right? You're going to have to adapt it to meet your students that are sitting in front of you that are different than someone else's students. So absolutely, start somewhere. Absolutely. So our last, our presentational, I feel like, I feel like we're language teachers have been doing presentational, um, you know, things for a long time. I feel like that's the one that we've always kind of done. You know, I think we've done it differently, you know, in different times, but um, let's talk about that presentational writing and speaking. Um, sure, sure, production. sure, sure. So I usually, when I'm designing mine, I, again, kind of go back to those can-do statements. So I guess that would be one thing that I kind of changed. I felt like when I was doing kind of essays that yeah. were maybe a, a textbook provided assessment that I might say a paragraph or, you know, make even sure if you it, use right, ex, sure you you know, use that, indefinite and definite articles out. and five different like these Absolutely. artificial constructions that I made are so embarrassing to me right now. Well, but we it was where that. I was, right? <laughs> exactly. It was where I was, you know, so. But, so, you know, a well-designed task will bring in what it is they've been doing all along. Yeah. So it's probably real similar to what they've been doing for practice. So, but, you know, it just will, if you start with those can-dos, it will remind you that the novice lows are going to make a list. So, yeah. um, you know, my first IPA is a, it's kind of my first unit uh, is about um, welcome to French class. So their text that they read was a school supply list for a school in St. Egal, I think it is. So then their interpersonal, it was um, talk to a partner about what you already have and what you need for your class based on this list. So they, you know, either I could give them some school supplies or they had some stuff from their backpack and just like, oh, I already have a pencil. Oh, I don't have graph paper. Sure. Um, so I need graph paper. And that, you know, those kind of little memorized phrases are what they can use at that level. So then the presentational ta- task was um, make a list to your host parents about, you know, what you'd like them to pick up for you. And it's just graph paper a red or pink highlighter, you know, just basic whatever was on yeah. the list that they didn't have. So um, so just to make hints or just to make sure that it's appropriate to their level, if at all possible, we want to be able to provide an authentic audience, you know, in that's some hard, situations, but yeah. that's, that's easier. So if we can't, we at least want the task to be something that somebody would write in real life. So my prompt is never write an essay about something, right. you know, usually. So... Um, but I did some years I had key pals and that would then be, you know, a lot of times on the IPA because, you know, it would be more the feedback on the IPA that before they actually sent it off, but it, it did provide a context for what they were writing. Um, then, you know, like I said, just as authentic as possible. And again, we want to bring in that interculturality. So in, you know, the school supply list, it's going to be because the list of school supplies that you need in a Francophone country are different. Like I use the example of a graph paper or like um, for geometry, they always need one of those triangle things, which I know I never had that in high school. I don't right. think I ever had a triangle thing. I had to look up the word in French because I didn't know what it was right, called in English. And so that has an intercultural piece. In the 
um, IPA about Abbas in Senegal, the presentational task was write a message to this Abbas kid because he was going to come and stay with you and write what you do in the summer in a way that will make him excited about coming. So that brings in that interculturality because you're going to mention things that someone in Senegal would know about. And if you want to do something that would be less familiar, like go to a baseball game, you can say it's a sport, you know, something super simple. But that's part of presentational is that we are considering our our readers or listeners' culture when creating the task because we're responsible for being comprehensible to them. They can't ask us questions. Um, another thing we have to think about is if the task is polished or on demands. Um, in my classroom, it was on demands. In my opinion, and I won't necessarily be making any friends, but <laughs> if if I let them do this outside of my classroom or with their computer, it becomes a question of what am I assessing? How What feedback am I giving? Because if it was something in English that they put in Google Translate, what am I assessing? You know, I, I'm not, I can't assign a proficiency level to their writing if they didn't write it. So... And mine, it was pen, pen and paper um, in the classroom on demand. Now, if it was a presentation, if you had an authentic audience in a presentation like that, certainly you would want it to be more polished. And maybe you would do both or different, you know, maybe my grade would be on a script, but then you might do the presentation. But I, I have an idea about your proficiency. I can assign you a score because you wrote it with what you are able to do on your own. Yeah, I think I agree. Like in a perfect world, I understand that a presentation, like I'm not going to walk and give a presentation in front of teachers without a lot of practice, a lot of editing and going over things and all of that sort of stuff. But again, the, in a realistic concept, context of a school and of a classroom, and this is an assessment, you know, that you may have to put parameters on there for that accountability piece and just for that um, you know, that fairness and that, like you said, that equitable, you know, making sure that you are grading or assessing a particular, you know, student's work, et cetera, um, and what they can do. And, and obviously that is a challenge, you know, so. Sure. And, and yeah, so. that was just that what worked for me. I, one th another thing I kind of suggest to people, if you're having trouble of just thinking of a prompt, I go back to this. I'm not sure it's something they talk about anymore, but I remember going to 30 years ago to um, a little presentation about a raft. Mm, so a yeah. raft is just R for role, A for audience, F for format, and T for topic. So I just kind of, that's how I try to describe my presentational task for the students. It's kind of something to keep, you know, I, I still, my son is in, in his ELA class still used that raft a couple oh, of years okay, ago. Good. So yeah, it's definitely still, re still relevant. So awesome. Wonderful. So who that was a lot, wasn't it? But I hope I hope everybody's heads aren't exploding. And I and I like just kind of taking each piece. And now let's just really briefly kind of like let's put it all together. Right. Sure. So let's kind of um really just it, it, like summary as a whole, that IPA experience. Cause I think we've talked a lot about the you know, the implementation and the and the assessment and, and pieces like that. Um and you did mention that that this so I'm just curious I always love hearing about teachers grade books so your grade book then the majority of the grades that went in it were summative or how did you percentage wise those out I'm just so curious the, as we um, talk about this 
each of the skill slash modes were 20%. So mm. am I, So there were five, interpretive listening, interpretive reading, interpersonal, which was speaking, and presentational, that was writing. If for some reason I had a presentational speaking also, I'd probably just put that in interpersonal. I just find that speaking and writing are not the same skill that muddied the waters if I put them together, mm -hmm. um, as was interpersonal, you know, and in the interpretive too. Great readers are not great listeners yeah. and vice versa. So I, li I liked separating, you know, those, the skills and modes out. That's right. So those 20% times five, oh, that's, how am I getting? We're not I had teachers. a little bit of formative. I know. I had 20% was formative. So my, um, I guess I'm leaving. No, there were four. Anyway, I had formative was 20%. Every year it changed well, a little the bit. However the math works. However the math worked out. The big picture is teacher. we went by skill or by we, mode, and we had right. a, a chunk for formative, where I assume all of them were just mixed in in that way. Yes, then. they were all Perfect. just mixed okay. in. And that was like I'd put a, a puzzles they did in class. And whatever I wrote down as they were doing practice interpersonals in class and little writing things that I gave a little bit of feedback back um i did i didn't grade for completion for equity concerns mm -hmm. but i can grade for you know accuracy or appropriateness of response without grading a whole thing you know right pick three questions if it was you know interpretive that had 20 questions pick three and give feedback on those i mean there's a and then go over the answers to the rest of them so there's a lot of ways you know to do a little check and a lot of things were just what happened you know and i did an interpersonal task every day probably in most days and i had you know had a, a clipboard with my roster and would take little notes and have little conversations a little feedback as we were going around and Sometimes those little notes would become some type of, you know, assessment grade. A lot of times it didn't. You know, the power in that is the fact you're walking around with the roster. So oh, that can of course. help keep the kids on task. But Absolutely. once in a great while, that could be a grade too. Yeah. I think the, the thing that I would say as we kind of round out this conversation, which thank you so much. I think this has really been helpful and super in-depth. Um, oh, but pleasure. I think the, the thing I, I really that strikes me is that – when, and I'm a huge, huge component of backwards design and starting with the end. So once you have, you know, your goals and you're looking at what you want, you know, students to be able to do and all of that stuff. And when you go to your assessment at the end um, and you say, I'm going to do an, an IP, I'm going to do an integrated performance, or I'm going to do a performance assessment. What, even if it's not an integrated performance assessment, I'm going to do a performance assessment of some sort. It really does shift everything else because in other words, um, I always talk about like, it's really about alignment, right? And so if I was in my, my classroom and I was doing my kind of traditional just practice and, you know, whatever it might be, and then I threw an IPA at the end it doesn't align. It's not fair. It's not, it's just that it just doesn't align. Your teaching doesn't align with your assessment, right? And so whatever your assessment, I always say, well, at least when I was giving a traditional sort of assessment, well, that's the way I taught. So everything aligned at least. Um, but I think when I encourage teachers, like when they're looking at moving towards a proficiency-based classroom or focused classroom, you know, start with what you want 
what that evidence is that, that they've met those goals. And once you, you know, so establishing the goals and going right to that assessment. And then once you look at like, well, okay, I've got to have a bunch of little interpretive opportunities. I have to have a bunch of interpersonal opportunities. I have to have all of these things. Um, and I think that is really just the the thing for me that if you're dipping your toes into like a proficiency focused thing, it's hard to go right to the end. But I feel like that's the place you just have to go. What? How, what's your thoughts on that, Lisa? Well, absolutely, right? Sometimes they say you teach what you test. So yeah. It, and it's this not, is in the best way, right? <laughs> right, in the best way. So if that's how you know you've taught it, if that's how you're assessing your students. And, you know, and absolutely, when I went that way, it changed everything about my, my teaching. I know different, you know, people who I love that I know online, Meredith White calls it everyday IPA, her kind of lesson plans. I first yeah. read Amy Leonard was, I think she called it, a, um, I forget what she called it, authentic lesson plan. And that's mm-hmm. when I kind of moved to teaching for proficiency and, you know, didn't have the textbook playing such a big role in my teaching. I was like, well, what am I going to do every day? I have no idea. Well, what I'm going to do every day is an interpretive task and then a personal task and a presentational task. And you might not fit them all in one day, but maybe, you know, the first day, maybe you're doing the interpretive and then maybe the next day you're doing. So my, you know, my entire curriculum then was based on what we did with the authentic resources. But so the IPA is, is no different than what they're doing every day. You know, the tasks might be a little different, but the skills are the same. Absolutely. And I think it also adds relevance then to when students say, because they do, they say, why are we doing this? So even if you do need to have a day where you're really focusing heavy on some particular structures, language structures or something, and they're like, well, why are we doing this? Well, this is these are the tools that you need to be able to do this that we agreed on that is this is our end goal. This is what we you have to show me. And so all of these pieces, to me, it helps me understand and fit together all of those pieces so that we get to the end and it's no big deal. It's nope, not, exactly. it's no, unless you've done nothing this whole time. And then you knew you, you, you know what you're going to do. Like if you're self-assessing yourself on a, an IPA and you've done nothing up to then, you're not surprised, right? You're, there's no, no student is surprised when they don't do well on an I, IPA if you're teaching the same way. Right. And so right. it's one of those, um, you know, I think it can add clarity to me as a teacher and my planning and making sure that everything I do builds to this end for them to be successful. But I also think it gives like relevance to those kids that just are like, I don't why are we doing this? Like, why do I care about this? Right. And right. if you don't care about what the individual pieces, then you need, you do probably care about that assessment piece that, that is going to, you know, get you grounded or something maybe <laughs> if you maybe. don't do well I don't know every everybody's got different motivation absolutely but, absolutely yeah. well this was great so any other big picture advice or suggestions or tips I feel like we covered like so much but I think um, so I would just encourage teachers to you know dip their toe and give it a try and also to be patient with yourself and your students because it is a paradigm shift for our kids and if they are used to being tested on being right or wrong they might you know, it, it's a little bit, you know, they're getting, they might feel like you're throwing them into the lake and expecting them to swim. But I think once they do it, they'll be okay. But, you know, to encourage them, you know, there's not just a right answer on the IPA. And when you're right. getting a rubric, they don't even, you know, if they, you know, the part on the interpretive of guessing the meaning and context, 
they might get three of the five right, and that's most, and that's the highest score. You know, it's not, like you said a couple of times today, it's not a gotcha kind of thing. But because a lot of our students are so used to all their assessments are about finding the right answer, and there could be, a, you know, there's a transition period where the students might be uncomfortable. Um, and but together, you know, you'll all get through that. And my very first presentation I ever did at a Ohio Foreign Language Association conference was called IPA because one day I'd <laughs> written on the board IPA tomorrow, and a student changes it to IPA because it oh, just was so less stressful for them than you know memorizing a set of you know grammatical facts and vocabulary. Yeah, something that they didn't have a connection to. So right. Well, Awesome. Well, this has been great. And so okay. if um, we're going to have a whole bunch of resources in the show notes, if you're just getting started, um, if we're going to have contact information, if you want to reach out on any social media or something to, to Lisa or myself, if you have any right. questions, um, there's lots of resources out there. And th like the Ohio website, you know, there are a lot of well done IPAs already made. So maybe you don't start by planning your own. Maybe you start by adapting somebody else's, you know, to kind of meet your needs. And so there are a lot of resources out there. Um, but we, we both want to encourage you to, you know, check it out, see what you think, you know, and um, I, I think it's a great place to get started on that proficiency focused journey in teaching and learning. So I just want to say thank you, Lisa, for everything and have a wonderful day. And I'm going to have to have you back again in the future. Well, Thanks. I'll look forward to that. It was great to be here. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.